to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 55. Peter Proud, our guest in this episode, fizzes with energy and passion for his business and his people. It's not hard to see the talent that must have been evident in a childhood growing up on a council scheme in Dunfermline, where Peter would do a four-hour milk round every morning before setting off to what he describes as a pretty rough school. He made good friends, though, secured an apprenticeship at Marconi that allowed him to go to university, and then won a military scholarship to Sandhurst. After leaving the army, he plunged into an accomplished career in digital technology, working with IBM, Microsoft and Accenture. He then began his own business, called Forit, to launch a content management system that he was convinced, despite the discouragement of others, would have a big future. He was right. With a strong team and clients such as Tesco Bank and Lloyds of London, Forit is now scaling up and thriving despite the COVID crisis. As well as discussing his career, Peter offers really interesting thoughts on the furlough scheme, the power of apprenticeships and leadership. This interview was recorded on Zoom on the 17th of November in front of a live international audience of business people brought together by the Scottish Business Network. Peter, you're running this this business now. You've got some some big clients, but presumably the pandemic crisis hasn't been without its challenges. So how have you managed to steer the business through that and how has it been for you personally? I mean, I found it, I found it quite tough. It's, it's, quite, it's quite funny. I, was, um, I certainly need to make my company successful because uh, I don't have a future as a profit. Um, I, unfortunately, my wife had bowel cancer uh, towards the end of last year. And in New Year, I said, don't worry, 2020 can't be worse. Um, how wrong was I? Uh, it's been quite a difficult year for everybody. So I, I kind of had to deal with kind of cancer, chemo, COVID, you know, from uh, October, November, uh, January, February, March. Uh, our chemo finished in March, and then I had to pick up with COVID. Um, so it was quite difficult for, for, for me. But but because of the fact that, that she, she was going through chemotherapy, I, I took the, uh, the decision to, to shut the office early. So as soon as I could see the way things were going, we actually shut the office maybe two or three weeks earlier than the government told us to. And that gave me a nice head start because one, we, we have a cloud business. And, and uh, at the time, maybe two months before when we changed our internet provider, uh, the fact that the company sent the wrong kit uh, seemed a bit annoying at the time, but we had to send everybody home for two weeks. And uh, we had a bit of a trial run for, for working from home. So the, the fact that our, our business was, was ready to, to send everyone home on the spot actually made life a bit easier for us. So we were able to, to send everybody home, buy desks, buy chairs, buy monitors. And we just bought everything new again and just got them shipped straight from Amazon and Ikea to people's houses. So that, that really helped us. Um, I think running the business uh, has been actually quite easy from a, from a productivity standpoint. But what I find more difficult is, is managing the welfare of the staff. Because, you know, when they're in the office, you've actually got access to them and you can actually feel the vibe. And if you, you know, if people are struggling, then, then you, can, you can actually interact with them. But that's what I've found the most difficult is, is actually the softer side of running the business. You know, I've actually met a few of uh, my staff who have been struggling a bit emotionally with, with some me- mental health problems, for instance. You know, when actually just taking them for a walk and actually show you care makes a massive difference to them. So, yeah, I think for, for us, the actual 
technicalities of running the business, the P&L, the actual customer delivery has been relatively easy because we've embraced cloud technologies from day one of our business. The actual soft side of managing the welfare of our staff has been the thing I've probably struggled with the most. Well, we're going to return to, to Forex shortly, but let's go back in time now and find out where, where, where did you come from originally, uh, Peter? What was family life like? And, and were you really into your technology as a youngster? Well, when I was, when I was actually, when I, was, I kind of wasn't, and I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I was brought up in the 80s, uh, 70s and 80s in Dunfermline in a kind of typical council estate where a lot of us came from, went to school in Abbey View in Dunfermline. If anybody comes from Dunfermline, you'll know it's actually quite a rough area. And um, I mean, when I was young, uh, I, you know, I, was, I had a good kind of set of pals and I think there was a good community spirit. Uh, but I also kind of realised that hard work got you places. I mean, I, I did a milk round from the time I was 11, 12 years old from first year of high school. You know, we used to get picked up at, you know, quarter to four in the morning by the milk van and stand on the back step and deliver milk for four hours in the morning. And then on a Friday and Saturday, you collected milk money uh, on, a, uh, on a Friday, Saturday night from kind of four o'clock until nine. So you did about a 35-hour week plus school. And uh, one of the things I found doing that was um, a lot of new housing estates were growing up round about Dunfermline at that time and running around getting new customers. Um, I used to kind of use the kind of hand photocopier thing to print leaflets at the school, which wasn't really allowed, but um, and deliver leaflets to the doors. And then, you know, you got new customers and you got more money for getting new customers than you did for delivering the milk. So I kind of realised how important sales was as in a business early on in my career. But yeah, I mean, it was just a kind of work hard and you get places. You know, we, we, we didn't have anything. I mean, I, had, I think we had a black and white telly until I was 15 <laughs> years old. And I didn't go on a plane until I got my first interview for a kind of scholarship. So yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was kind of normal, right? And then you joined the army, which which I know is not something you talk about a huge amount about that time within the army. But I'm interested in in what you drew from that in terms of leadership, which has obviously been very important in your career. Yeah, I mean, I was lucky, right? I was a working class kid uh, at Sandhurst. You know, I remember uh, one of the colour sergeants came from Versailles, which is the next town to Dunfermline, and he uh, and he knew who I was because I was I knew his son. And he actually said to me, what the fuck are you doing here? Right? And I said, what you should find is what the fuck are you doing here, sir? Uh, which, you know, he did laugh and, and did then call me sir. But uh, what, what was uh, really important to me, I, I loved the army, right? And I loved, loved my time there. Um, and and uh, but, but the two things I think uh, that, that I took away from that was, was the skills are really transferable. I mean, I learned there the difference between management and leadership, you know, and it's one word, you know. I mean, uh, a manager tries to make somebody do the best job they can. A leader tries to make them want to do the best job they can. So if you can inspire your staff to want to do the best job they can, you actually don't have to worry too much about managing them. So inspiration is a massive part of that. And then the other thing I learned was, you know, certainly uh, always look after the people who, you know, clothe you, feed you, house you and move you. You know, so the kind of back-end office is very important in the armed forces. So whenever I kind of got a, a posting or anything, I always made sure I took a bottle of whiskey or gave a present to the quartermaster to make sure I could always get what I needed when I wanted it. You know, so so I think looking after 
you know, things that are the back office that you don't really see, you know, it's very important to make them feel valued in your business. Uh, after the army, you spent uh, around 18 years at, at IBM, Microsoft, Accenture. Could you talk yeah. us through some of the kind of high points, low points, and, and some of the, the lessons that you drew from that period? I got, well, I mean, the high point at Microsoft, I got fired from Accenture. And that was a bit of a low point. What, what, were, you, what were you fired for? <laughs> well, they didn't want us, right? They, they, didn't, <laughs> they didn't believe in building a software business. And that was a move from Microsoft to build, you know, the kind of version one of what we have today. Uh, so, so I was kind of like a fish out of water, you know? So... I was phenomenally successful at Microsoft. I went to Accenture. You know, they, <laughs> we were brought in as, as change agents into a company that didn't want to change. So we never got fired as such. You know, we got we got the opportunity to leave. You know, they offered us things we didn't want to do. So it was either, do you want to do this or do you want to not? So I took the not option and went back to Microsoft. But one of the smartest things I did when I went to Accenture, because we, we'd had the idea for this platform at, at Microsoft, and, and we took it to Accenture. And myself and Steve Ballmer, who is the CEO of Microsoft, met with the CEO and the Chief Strategy Officer uh, of, of Accenture, Bill Green, Green and Tim Green. And we kind of sold the concept. We had a client. We did, you know, we did it together. But, um, but, but when we got there, uh, we, you know, when I got there, we, we spent two and a half years getting it working and fixing it and getting it to where we needed it to be. But the sponsor, and this is a big lesson in life, right? The sponsor was the CEO uh, who's, who's a guy called uh, Bill Green, and Bill Green retired, and PR Nunturn came in as a new CEO of Accenture, and he was like, you know, we don't want a software business, you know, to be doing this kind of stuff. So they, you know, they just kind of shunted us and said, you're a consultant, so you go. So I, I took the go option and went back to Microsoft. But, but before I went to Accenture, I'd signed the, the, the project as joint IP between Microsoft and Accenture. So Accenture had done the first piece of the build, and I went back to Microsoft and tried to convince Microsoft to build it. And, and Microsoft's a platform company. It's not necessarily a kind of vertical ISV type, you know, software company. You know, but Microsoft encouraged me to build it, gave me the help to get going. And when I left Microsoft, I got to cherry pick uh, nine of the, the 30 people I'd taken to Accenture with me to actually kind of start Cortex, as it was then, it's now for it. So Microsoft gave me space in London. They gave me space in Edinburgh to get started. And, and you know, it was very much a joint venture. So, I mean, the big thing I've learned from my career is, you know, um, kind of always try your best, you know, and, 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 and know what you're good at, right? I knew I was good in a software company, it's a product company. I found out very quickly I wasn't very good in a services-based company. You know, stick to your knitting, right? If you're good at rugby, play rugby. If you're good at football, play football, right? Don't just think because you're good at football, you're going to be good at rugby or vice versa. So, Peter, what was it about the CMS that you so believed in that you, you had to take it on and launch your own business to, to, to fight through? Yeah, it's interesting, right? So, so cannibalization is one of the most difficult things to do in a business, right? So, so you know, and, and if you look at the kind of the way the market was, uh, all the CMS companies have been going for quite a long time. They've been heavily invested in by VCs. So to actually try and change once you've actually invested, been invested in very heavily and actually build something again from scratch, it costs a lot of money and it's hard to do. So, you know, we, we saw the opportunity to build something from day one out of the cloud, all of the CMSs are trying to retrospectively fit their solution onto the cloud. And it tends to be as infrastructure as a service type solutions using VMs, right? Whereas we did it as pure platform as a service out in the cloud. So we've got the kind of unlimited power available to us, you know, straight out of the cloud to deliver things. So for instance, we were able to do the, 
launch for Windows and Surface 10. So when Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, stood up on stage to announce new products, we activated the websites globally, you know, in three seconds. And, and that was across 18 data centers across the, the Accenture, uh, sorry, Accenture, the Avenid ecosystem. To do that as an infrastructure as a service model, we'd have to feed, had, you know, we'd have to have a lot of staff actually managing the traffic. So it was about 120 million hits in the first day. You know, so, so the fact that we were able to build something brand spanking new out of the cloud as a platform as a service solution, you know, I, I saw that if we got it right, then we'd be able to take on, you know, the big the big guys, right? So we disrupted and we were starting to kick out very large established companies that are very large uh, enterprise companies. And we would we would not have been able to do that, you know, 15, 10, 10 years ago. <clears throat> we wouldn't have been able to do that because the startup costs of actually building an infrastructure solution would be huge, whereas now we've got unlimited potential through the cloud to actually build solutions that are very secure, scalable, and robust. So seven years on, um, has it all been just whoosh like that? Have there been some challenges, presumably related to growth, because you've won some big oh. contracts? Yeah, it's like a game of snakes and ladders. You know, I, I actually get a bit kind of worried when I'm not worried because I know things always go wrong when I start to relax, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the unknowns, right? It's things coming out of nowhere. It's, um, you know, we, we were doing a big project for a, a customer and then they ran it a budget and then they said, hey, we're going to delay this project by six months and you've went and hired seven people. You know, and if you're running with seven people on the bench when you thought you were starting something and then they stop, then it, you know, it's, it's quite difficult. You know, there's probably been about five or six tipping points whereby we could have sunk and, and went under. I mean, that, that was a few years, a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago now. But, you know, we, we, we have any, anyone that's a CEO and anyone that's got a company that they've founded and they're actually starting to do okay, if any of them, you know, do not, um, do not say that they had an inordinate amount of luck at some point, they're liars, right? Because you, you need luck. Uh, as well as hard work and opportunity. And, and yeah, we, we were lucky. I mean, you need tenacity, right? I mean, everyone told me, oh, you're stupid. Why would you bother going building, you know, a new CMS when there's Sitecore and Adobe and this and that out there? You know, and, and anyone that started a new business has been told they're stupid. You know, I always think back to the kind of Spice Girls getting rejected and the Beatles getting rejected <laughs> and all these pop stars getting rejected by the, by the agencies. Um, everyone, I've had loads of people tell me I was stupid. Uh, you know, trying to go and build something new. I mean, I'm sure Tesla, you know, when Tesla was founded and, uh, you know, he started that business, it's like, what, an electric car? You know, you've got to be kidding. In fact, this is a good story, actually. Jason Langridge used to work for me at Microsoft and he came to me just as Microsoft was failing with the phones and said, hey, I'm going to go and join Apple uh, to, to help them launch their, their, their new phone. And I was like, you're wasting your time. We couldn't do that. I mean, we, we put loads of money into this. Uh, so, so go and join Apple and do a phone. <laughs> You've got to be kidding, right? So he keeps on reminding me now that you know ignoring my career advice was the best thing he ever did in his life because he went anyway. So, so you know, I think it's the most important things in starting a business is you know have a good idea, build a great team, you know, stay focused on what you're trying to achieve, and, and keep positive and have tenacity because I think tenacity is one of the best attributes you can have as a CEO founding a company. Of any, it doesn't matter what your company is, right? If it's tech or if it's kind of, you know, in food and drinks or whatever, it doesn't matter, right? Tenacity is the most important attribute. 
The second half of the interview continues in a few seconds after this. Do you need a communications expert to help you with your marketing, brand storytelling or strategic content? Find out what I, Fraser Allen, can provide at www.allencoms.co.uk. That's Allen with two L's and an E and comms with two M's. And what's the plan now? Where do you want to take the business? So we broke the business down into three stages, right? I always, anyone who knows me well, I talk about this all the time and I just bore people, right? It's kind of crawl, walk, run, right? So crawl is define, design, build and test. So that's the first phase when you're burning cash. The walk is get yourself ready to run, you know, and that's all about getting the product right, getting the charging model right. I mean, that was a massive mistake we made actually. We, uh, we spent, we were so excited about building the product when the first client came, we were like, oh, what, how much? <laughs> You're joking, right? So we hadn't even thought of the charging model. So we got screwed a bit in the first couple of deals because we didn't put enough effort into how we were going to charge for our software. So the kind of, the, the walk stage is all about getting your product right, getting the, um, the service delivery, service management, how you're going to run it right, the charger model's right, the support model's right, and then, and then the run is the scale. And we're, we're accelerating into scale. So we are, we're, you know, we're building partnerships with Avanade, with Deloitte Digital, with EY Seren. We're building partnerships with Microsoft. Microsoft want to sell our product because it drives uh, software. We were lucky. We, we've won Lloyds of London. So we're taking over Lloyds.com, the insurance business. Uh, we're all, already live with the first websites. And the chief digital officer from Lloyds was telling some people at Microsoft that they love working with us. So the account teams have been coming to us saying, hey, we've got another 14 insurance companies we want to take you into to talk about how you can transfer their websites like we've done Lloyd's. You know, so, so a queue forms a queue. So, you know, our plan has been simple. You know, it's been, and, and one of the things that we did, and I'm, I'm, I love selling, right? It's kind of where I came from. I love selling. Um, we, we decided two and a half, three years ago to stop selling because the product wasn't ready, right? It would have been too difficult to scale our business because the services element was too heavy because we hadn't had it self-service enough. So we reined back, which was kind of like, it was like kind of reached a time, you know, it's like, I, I want to sell, right? So um, I had to stop selling for, for three years and we had to focus purely on the product to get the product right. So, so now it's all about scale. So into next year, 2021, we're going to really scale our business. We've got a really good, healthy pipeline and it's all about, it's all about growth and scaling our business now. I know that uh, apprenticeships and skilling up for the digital economy are, are important issues to you so why is that and and what are you doing in those areas so we've got i've got 49 staff and i've got 11 apprentices and so we had our first two apprentices when we had seven staff and so they've been with me now for five years and they are just amazing right it's the it's just other than starting the company the apprenticeship schemes is the second best thing we've done so we 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 couldn't see uh we, we were struggling to hire you know, there's a kind of everyone keeps on going on about the lack of skills in digital and the lack of skills in tech in Scotland, but no one ever really, you know, code plan and everything, everything that's going on there with Polypurpose started it and it's a great initiative. You know, but a lot of companies had to kind of take it on themselves to actually skill people up, right? So instead of just sitting moaning about it, I just decided to, you know, and doing an apprenticeship changed my life, right? So I was able to go and do a technical apprenticeship through Marconi and learn software when I was a kid. You know, so so I've never forgotten that. I, I've been afforded a life that I could never have had if it hadn't been the apprenticeship I was given when I was 17 year old and, and going to university and stuff through that route because we just, it wasn't a route for me financially. 
So, so we've got 11 kids, three of which, four of which dropped out of university after three, four months because it wasn't for the, the first route. Uh, we've got ex-servicemen and things. So we've, we've got five people who have just finished their third year at university, gone into fourth year, that all have merits for the third year. And, and I kinda, I'm quite tough on them, right? They, they, know, they know that anything less than a first is... is I'm not going to kick them out if they get a 2-1, right? I'll be delighted for them. But, you know, we kind of encourage them to, to get a first. Um, so, so, yeah, the apprenticeship. And, and, and also, if you look at our, our apprentices, uh, they're doing one day a week at university. They're doing four days a week here with us. They don't have any student loans. Uh, they still have all their SAS available to them. They've got five years' work experience. All of them have got Microsoft certified professionals as well as their degrees. They're all either fire wardens, mental health first aiders, or first aiders. And the sickness levels of our apprentices is nearly zero, right? They are very positive. They're not kids, right? They're in their 20s. They're very positive young adults, and they've been great advocates for STEM. So, you know, the, the energy that these guys have got and the ideation, and, and they are, I mean, they're, they're tough, uh, they're resilient, and I can chuck them in front of anybody. You know, at Christmas party last year, one of the apprentices got absolutely hammered and he, um, and, and he had an exam the next day, you know, and I was like, I think you should go home. You've got an exam tomorrow. And he turned to me and said, you're not my effing dad, you know, <laughs> so which was quite funny. Um, but I was like, yeah, but, you know, you better not do badly tomorrow. And he couldn't wait to get into show me he's 86% in his exam, you know, once he got it after being hammered. So... You know, the apprentices are fantastic. Uh, I've taught them well to be a bit contrarian, you know, so they will challenge and they will ask hard questions. And, you know, and I think that's good when, you know, I think I think a bit of contrarianism, if that's a word, in, in staff is actually a good thing because I, I believe in the power of collective thought. And so, you know, getting a cohesive group of people like that working together is fantastic. But I, I love my apprentices. I mean, they're just, they're just amazing to have in the office. We're not in the office anymore, but you know what I mean before. Mm -hmm. and, and we've got our model right. What, what we're doing now is um, we are, we've tried many different ways of doing this, right? And what we've got that I think works the best now is four or five years just feels a bit too long for us. So what we're doing now is we're getting close uh, relationships with the colleges and we're picking up the top HND kids. So the guys that have got really good marks for their HNDs, you get them a third year entry into university. They do a two-year apprenticeship. Uh, with third year entry into uni and after two years you've got them well trained and and they've got a degree so that's that's the way we're doing but it's it's fantastic i, I love it sorry i'm a bit passionate about this right oh, that comes through it's great, great opportunities for them in, in a in a growing sector and do you think the yeah. the digital the whole digital technology sector in scotland is recognized for the for its full value and if not do you think there is more the scottish government could be doing to help it flourish i think there's I think there's too much focus on this kind of unicorn, you know, status. It's like, let's go for the unicorn, right? Unicorns don't exist, right? And and if you look at the kind of, there's been a lot of kind of <coughs> hyperbole about Skyscanner and uh, and Fangio, you know, and they were great because they were riding high on lots of investment. Skyscanner is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty stressed at the moment because of the travel industry and, and Fangio's been, been, Kind of bought because they ended up burning too much cash on marketing and and believing their own hype. 
you know, I think what I think the Scottish government needs to focus on a lot, 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 lot more focus on is the fact that there's, you know, there's a lot of sub 100 people companies out, out there that are actually doing a lot for the Scottish community. And actually, if you can start to grow lots of 20 to 50 people companies and get them to triple, then that will generate thousands and thousands of jobs without the heavy lift and investment that, that, that you need to, to build a company uh, to, to compete in the enterprise. And, and we were super lucky, right? I mean, we, uh, Accenture and uh, Accenture spent 125 million on the platform I've now got before they shut us down. And I'd signed it as joint IP between Microsoft and Accenture. And then I went back to Microsoft and got Microsoft to sign it all over to me by promising I would build it on Azure, right? But we would never have been able to build this, build our company without that, that initial kind of investment. And we and we we got we ended up with the whole company, right? It wasn't like, you know, they've still got a stake or anything, right? I own it or we own it now. My my management team and I own the company. And so, but but the, the investment needed. You know, sometimes to build these enterprise companies takes a long time. We've, take, we've taken six and a half years to build this product. I mean, there's a company the same as ours called Contentful based out of Berlin. Uh, they're based on AWS. They've raised 159 million. Um, the clients that we're speaking to that we've just won say that Ursula's better than theirs. Um, but, but, you know, obviously they're doing really, really well as well. So, you know, you know don't underestimate the, the kind of the, the money that's needed with regards to investment. So I think, and I think that's something that's lacking a bit in Scotland. You know, we, we haven't raised money. We did it on our, we, we got a million, right? Out, out of the 17 million that I've spent since we started. But, but what we've been able to do is get clients early and, and actually have proper uh, revenue early, uh, you know, and, and that's kind of funded us. But, you know, the, I think people need to be a lot more honest about how difficult it is, how much money is needed. You know, so if the government could start to really, you know, make funds available a lot easier with regards to the Scottish Investment Bank, you know, Scottish Enterprise really needs to kind of give itself a kick in the arse, I think. Um, we've never had any money out of them. Um, but, but you know, I, I think, you know, if you can if you can plant lots of acorns, right, you're going to get lots of trees, right? And and I think if you make it easier, one of the things we've done is, as I've got next behind me, I've got kind of 1,800 square foot um, of space that I don't need um, just now. Uh, I've done three startups, right? So I did uh, two big years. I did Null Mighty and I'm doing player data now. So two big years sold off to um, off to Facebook. Now might year off to some company down in London, you know. But so we've we've given them a bit of space, a bit of help, a bit of guidance, make their life easy, and away you go. All of them came out of the school of informatics. One of the things I find personally quite sad is, and this isn't being racist or anything, right? It's none of the founders were Scottish, right? So you know, there's entrepreneurialism through the universities, and that's great. Um, and, and the Scottish ecosystem through through universities has actually made this happen. You know, but, but actually what I've seen is the kind of foreign students that come to Scotland to actually get the qualifications seem to be a bit more entrepreneurial than the, the Scottish kids. And I don't know why that is, right? I mean, you know, it's quite funny because I come to some of the meetings here in Scotland and I, I go to Seattle, you know, one week a month or I did until lockdown. You know, and I go to events over there and I'm like a kind of little kind of wallflower there. Yeah, when I come here, I'm a kind of bit more kind of gracious compared to other people in the audience. And um, there just seems to be a confidence, a confidence lacking, you know, in the Scottish culture that actually they can do. You know, it's okay to fail, right? I mean, we're all going to fail at something in our lives, right? So why not fail big? You know, Steve Ballmer used to say to us all the time, because the division I ran was all the top clients. It's like, hey, we're going to have to fire quite a few you guys for screwing up this year. Give us something big to fire you for. You know, you're as well getting fired for something big instead of something small. So, you know, failure is not a bad thing, right? Because just 
you fail at one thing, it opens a path to another, right? So, so that, that's something I'd be thinking about. You know, how do we start to inspire the youngsters it's okay to be more entrepreneurial and actually potentially go and fail, you know? We nearly failed a couple of times at this, but, you know, the, the kind of failures that we had picked us up. One of the things we did, and, and we, we actually got the product a little bit wrong, and we had to re-engineer everything back eight months. And uh, we ran the Microsoft websites for them, and they said, right, we'll give you three months to fix it because we want these features and functionalities, and if you don't get it, then we're going to cancel the contract. You know, and that was 125000 a month for three years. You know, focus is the mind. So, you know, it's okay to make mistakes and stuff, right? But once you've made it, you need to kind of get yourself on the right track and fix it quickly. Coming back uh, full circle to the, the COVID-19 situation the, the furlough scheme's obviously been a, a lifeline for a, a lot of businesses but it's a it's a controversial issue as well because it's, it's piling up a, a lot of debt for the for the future what's your take on the scheme yeah i mean it's really interesting right so so it's on here right but i'm not very happy with my accountants at the moment right because they furloughed half their staff and they've taken another four months to get my accounts ready and so our R&D tax credit of 285000 got paid to us four months later than I would have liked it to, you know, because so, so I'm not really into companies furloughing people that, that don't need to be furloughing people, right? I mean, I think the furlough scheme is absolutely there to support companies that have been shut down because of the pandemic. But, you know, the companies I'm really starting to, you know, when you read in the paper that companies like Dunelm have given $29 million, I think was the number back to, to the government from the furlough money they were paid because they don't need it because their online business has been so good. I mean, that's testament to them, right? And I think that's fantastic that they've got the integrity to do so. So I think the furlough scheme is absolutely there to protect the companies that are struggling because of the pandemic. I don't think it's a way for people to make more profit on the back of manipulating the company and their resources to actually just benefit themselves. So any company, I believe, that takes money from the furlough scheme that makes big profits this year should be absolutely hammered and that money should be clawed back from them, you know, because that's not what the furlough scheme is for. The furlough scheme is there to absolutely protect business, protect jobs, and the companies that are the most at risk because of the pandemic should be over-invested in to keep their lights on. So that's, it's a bit harsh opinion, but, but I absolutely believe that that scheme, because we're going to be paying for this for a long time. Yeah. We, we never furloughed anybody. I mean, I could have furloughed a couple of people. You know, we've got a couple of kind of office staff because our office is shut. Um, for instance, you know, we could have done that. But, but you know, why make them feel less valuable than, than anyone else? What we've used this time to do for, for people that potentially aren't quite as busy because, because we're not in the office, uh, we're training them up. So the person who looks after the office has done the Institute of Facilities Management while she's been, you know, not as busy because the, the duties in the office aren't there. So that's, that's how we kind of diverted it. So we put people on courses so the HR manager hasn't been as busy so she's done a whole other hr qualifications we've done you know we've, we've put a lot of emphasis on training for people that aren't quite as busy you know one of the things that we've we've done as well is we've trained one third well we just hired a few more people so it's probably dropped down to a quarter now but we've got a quarter of our people trained in the st andrews, st. andrews ambulance any you know, the mental health scheme so we do first aiders and mental health so we put a lot of emphasis in training people on on uh, mental health as well. Finally, uh, looking back at your career, what advice would you give the young Peter Proud making his way in the world? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Be yourself, right? One of the things I think when I, one of the things that Microsoft, and, I, and it's really interesting because I speak to 
a lot of my peers now. I'm 51 now, and I speak to a lot of my peers that grew up. I joined Microsoft when I was 25 years old, and um, we we, uh, we we suffered badly from imposter syndrome, and we, we you know we were always. Didn't matter, it didn't it always felt it, it didn't matter how well you did, you were always put down. You know, you, you, you this big bell curve, you were never good enough, you know. And I, I, I remember signing this deal. It was like 240 million, you know, and, and I signed the deal and my boss went, uh, thanks, but it's about six weeks late. <laughs> I was like, you're, you're shitting me, right? So so I think I think it's just be yourself and know your worth. Because we we didn't fully appreciate our, our worth, I think um, what's super important is uh, is build a great network round about you, build a good team, know what you're good at, you know, focus on what you're great at, and then kind of compensate with people round about you what you're not good at. You know, a, a teamwork's really important, right? You can you can you can go fast alone, but and this is a quote I use a lot. It's not mine. Somebody. I read it somewhere and I liked it, but, you know, you can go fast alone, but you can't go far alone, you know, so it's okay to kind of rush forward, you know, yourself, but if you can't bring the people with you, you know, you, you find you can be quite isolated. So so, so teamwork and, and getting people around about you is super, super important, you know, and, 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 and you know, I, one, of, one of the things, I mean, I, I mentored a lot of kids when I was at, at Microsoft and Microsoft you used to get these red jackets and you were the top 30 employees uh, in, the, um, in the company. And my last year at Microsoft, three of my mentees won the red jacket. And, you know, there was a comment that you're better at coaching others than doing stuff yourself. And I, I thought that was great, actually, because, you know, I think, you know, being able to nurture and bring people along and, and give other people the limelight's really important. So, I mean, that, that was the thing. The thing I really learned, you know, in my time, you know, in enterprise was, you know, know your worth, be valuable, be a bit contrarian, but not be a pain in the arse, you know, know your worth and, and just try and do the best job you can do, you know, and, and, and but, but also make other people, you know, make other people great. You know, if you can help other people be really, really successful and really give credit and really help other people progress, then people will want to be part of your team because they'll see that you'll help push people through. So that, that, that's it, really. I mean, you know, I was lucky as well. You know, I, I, you know, I joined Microsoft at a time where, you know, the rising tide raised all the ships. You know, you could actually hide and be average and do really well, um, you know, as long as you weren't too shackled to the, to, to the, the seabed and you would rise up. But, um, but, but, but leverage your luck, right? A lot of people don't leverage the opportunities given to them. So just grab the opportunity and, and be mobile, right? And when I was in, in Microsoft, I jumped across around the organization. So I did a little bit in public sector. I did a little bit in financial services. I then jumped into the kind of services side of the business and the tech side of the business. Then I went into do more of the kind of VC type stuff, you know, and move around, you know. But also kind of find a good manager, you know, somebody who's really on the trajectory and grab out the coattails, and get dragged along with them, you know, because having good sponsorship in any organisation is really, really important. And at that point, we moved on to questions from the audience. If you'd like to attend future events such as this, simply visit sbn.scot to find out more. And I hope you enjoyed the interview with Peter, a really interesting character, and it'll be fascinating to see what happens next with Forrit. We'll be back in two weeks with a special festive edition. Bye for now. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.